1: You're in luck, because today, rather than listen to me drone on, we have our interview with Dr. James White to bring a little bit of class to this place. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer, and this is my classy wife, Nikki. Hello. (laughs) And we don't want to belabor this anymore so let's just get right to the interview. All right well uh, thank you so much for joining us Dr. White we are certainly pleased to have you and uh, very honored that you would jump on our our little podcast here. (laughs) (laughs) Well it's good to be with you. So um, just for anybody listening I obviously the people that we know are aware but I got in contact with you um, just I guess uh, luckily you're on twitter i was following you and you just happened to be looking for a church in our local area and just kind of on a whim of prayer i reached out and said our church would love to have you and um you were kind enough to say that sounds great and so i basically offered up our church without getting any of the pastors approval <laughs> and thankfully uh, pastor kane's a good man and he agreed to it and then um it worked out well for us we enjoyed yes. it yes
0: it was uh everybody was real kind and um we didn't get to get to do the debate we wanted to do, but uh, that's not overly shocking either. But hey, uh, we, we tried and and uh, made some good contacts down there, and uh, uh, the Lord d- delivered us from uh, the closest call we've ever had while driving the new uh, the new unit uh, right there in uh, that area. The, I think it was the morning I left. Yeah, it was the morning I left. Uh, so I don't know if you saw the video of that, but no, you have honestly- some...
1: We told you the folks that had just come over to our house today, they told us, and we didn't know that you had a close call there. And so they showed us the video and <laughs> that little area that you had the close call, there's probably an accident on that exact spot three times a week.
0: Really? Yeah, it it's, doesn't look like it's really well laid out, but um uh, little Chevette's probably should not pull out in front of 18,000 pound vehicles. <laughs> uh, thankfully, I was going less than the speed limit or that would have been the end of that. So anyways, exactly. but uh, Lord Lord worked it all out. So it was good <laughs> to get, get a chance to be down there. And uh, I don't know how things are going to work out in uh, late January, but I'm supposed to be going the southern route. We'll see. Uh, maybe coming in the general area again, but we'll see. Have okay. You made any
1: headway with uh, Doctor Stauffer there, or maybe we can work on oh, that? Oh no,
0: no, no, no! Uh, I'm sure he's uh, he has so many electrical outlets to do in the new in the new church that he'll he'll it's be at consuming. that till at least 2030.
1: Yeah, it's time consuming. Well, um, we certainly loved when you did come down here. Honestly, that's the first time I ever heard you really just preach a Sunday sermon. You know, we're so used to listening to debates by you and um, that sort of stuff that this. And I think what you did was basically reading and interpreting the Greek text right. just sort of real time from, I believe it was the book of Mark mm-hmm. and just really fascinating to hear. And,
2: yeah, you know, I definitely learned something new. I even had our kids listen to one of your debates, so they would kind of know who you are. Our boys are 13 and we got a 11 uh, year old daughter, an eight year old, not that she's that into it, but I had them listen at least to one of your debates uh, with Silverman. I don't even know how long ago that was, but.
0: Oh, wow. So there that was something
2: was, they could grasp, you know. Right. That that
0: was supposed to be with uh, Christopher Hitchens, and he had actually signed a contract. And then, two weeks after that, he got his diagnosis of esophageal cancer, and of oh. course, as everybody knows, he he died. And so Silverman took his place. Which
2: okay.
0: Silverman uh, isn't even with American Atheists anymore because uh, he got in trouble with the Me Too movement. Uh, so, okay, uh, there's a
2: lot I don't know, and I kind yeah, of wish he said yeah. some inappropriate things in that debate. And I was like, oh, I didn't know about that. Didn't need my kids <laughs> hearing that, but yeah. they definitely, I think they'll benefit. You know, be prepared if they, you know, those common atheist questions and challenges.
0: That's what's out there. Yeah. They, yeah, he's he's he'd be more representative than Christopher Hitchens, honestly. Hitchens was brilliant. um Silverman, that's not a term I would ever use of
1: of him. Would be. <laughs> <Yeah. so. laughs> Yeah. Well, the, one of the things that you did preach when you were down here, or not preach as so much, but is teach, and it was new to me. I, I mean, I'm new to this part of Florida, and I didn't realize that this King James only was really a thing until just before you came down, I actually had somebody on Facebook reach out to us, you know, and asking, hey, what translation do you guys read? And I had mentioned, oh, I'm currently reading an ESV Bible, and then he laid into me with King James is the only inspired text from God. And I was like, what is this? And then apparently listening to your talk, I mean, you were learning about this and back in, you said high school and then.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Late, late seventies, early eighties. Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah. So one of the things that, you know, just obviously all of us aren't quite as learned in this area as you. And something I was curious about just to have in our arsenal for those of us who might especially in this region of the world run into this just a, you know, one or two points to at least get them thinking, obviously you're not going to win them over in a, a short 10 minute argument probably, but one or two points to sort of open their mind or kind of see where they may be wrong that we could use.
2: They might want to chew on, I guess. Right.
1: Right.
0: Well, you know, I've, I've actually, um, uh, back in, uh, 2017, May of 2017, I was, uh, uh, one of the speakers at the shepherds conference in Germany, we, we met in Wittenberg um, oh, for the anniversary of the reformation. And mm-hmm. I was teaching in, there in Germany and I was sitting in one of the only places in Wittenberg where you can get a really good cheeseburger. Um, mm-hmm. And um, these young students came in they recognized me. And so we started talking, you got to realize in Germany, uh, most Germans can speak better English than, than most Americans can. Um, And so it was very easy to to communicate. I can communicate in German a little bit, but they can do English a whole lot better than I can do German. Anyway, um, interestingly enough, that was their question, was they were encountering not so much King James-onlyism, obviously, but a related movement called TR-onlyism, Textus Receptus-onlyism, the Greek text that was translated by the King James translators. And so it's not just in the south of, of the US. Uh, when I first started studying it, um, when I first started hearing about it, that's where it was primarily located at. And um, for example, when I wrote the King James Only controversy, almost no one at Bethany House Publishers, which was up in Minneapolis had ever even heard of it. Hmm. Thankfully, my editor uh, was well aware of how big it was and how many Christian bookstores were always facing it and stuff like that. And so he was able to sort of overcome that but yeah it it it's global in some ways and yet really really found in a focused way in the american south hmm. uh but not just there um it it's it's all over the place and so we have uh every, every place i go i was just a 3 and you get to greet people and talk to people at, at at your booth and stuff like that and so many of them um that was where they came to know who I was. They, many of them would say, I heard, I first heard your name from the pulpit and we were being warned to never listen to you, that you're satanically inspired, um, that, that you're an enemy of the truth. And I, and, and said, it was just so often that once I saw over in the side panel on YouTube or something, a. a debate from you it was sort of like man i gotta i gotta find out what this guy's about because man they're just talking about him constantly and they'll click on a debate where i'm i'm debating um, in a mosque in south africa or in london or debating islam or roman catholicism or whatever and they listen to it and they're like uh why are we saying that this guy is is like satan incarnate what what's going on here and it just it's not just one thing that gets them to start thinking most people that are involved in really strict king james only churches um already have a few things in the back of their mind where they've recognized inconsistencies but they are desperately afraid To ask questions because you're not supposed to ask questions. If you ask questions, you're questioning the Word of God. So what people need to understand is in in really strong King James only churches, the equation is the King James Bible alone equals the Word of God alone. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Now, unfortunately, a lot of Christians don't know a lot about the history of the transmission of the text. That's why we did we did when I was there in Florida, went over, you know, how these books came to be in our possession and how they came to be collected over time. And I showed pictures of various, the early manuscripts and, and talked about the development of, of, uh, uh, you know, Paul writes his epistles as individual epistles, but over time they become collected together into, into one, uh, one book and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and so a lot of, a lot of, ifb folks and non-ifb folks independent fundamentalist baptist folks just don't know what the history is and therefore think the bible has always just had the form we have it in today and when they when they hear uh, a conflicting narrative when they hear about the development over the time over time or or things like that they just don't have the background to be able to to check for consistency and king james Onlyism is dependent upon people not knowing the history of the text, not knowing that the King James was not the first English translation and uh, that there were English translations before it and that it's gone through various permutations itself and that what everyone's carrying around today is the 1769 Blaney revision, but it's not the 1611. and, And all that historical stuff, most people just don't know. I was raised in the King James myself. No one ever told me anything like that. No one even talked about anything like that. And in fact, there was even in my background somewhat. Now, my dad was a graduate of Moody Bible Institute, so it it, it was muted. Uh, but in a lot of the churches we were in, even having an interest in that kind of stuff was sort of like, why would you really be interested in that? Isn't isn't your King James Bible, as you have it today, the Word of God enough for you? You know that kind of a of a situation, and so. Uh, when, you, when you get a chance to talk to these folks, and like in your situation, maybe give a defense of the ESV, um, one of the first things you have to do is challenge people to, interestingly enough, the same thing I challenge Muslims. Um, I say to Muslims in my debates with them, you have to use the same standards in analyzing my scriptures. As you use in analyzing yours, you can't have different sets of scales. And King James onlyism is dependent upon having one set of standards for the King James and a completely different set of standards for every other translation of the Bible. And I suppose one way of sort of cracking the door open is to point out that that's not what the King James translators told us. Most King James Bibles published today don't include the rather lengthy epistle that the translators wrote to the reader it's available online everywhere and some of the nicer editions will have it printed with it but if you track it down and you read what the translators themselves said they used the same methodologies that we use today Mm -hmm. um they they understood that there had been fine works that had been done before theirs and that there would be fine works that would be done after theirs. There is not a single one of the King James translators. It would be King James only today. Uh, they would find it laughable and embarrassing that there would be people who would think that their translation has become, was somehow the result of supernatural um, intervention and inspiration between 1604 and 1611. They would be mortified. Um, So sometimes that helps to just simply point out that, you know, the King James translators said that any mean translation that that is seeking to accurately render the original languages can be called the word of God, not just ours, but those that came before us, those that will come after us. Um, They, they were totally against any idea that, you know, this is it. And once we're done, that's going to be it for, for the rest of the history of the church. So that can help um sometimes pointing out that there are even different versions of the king james today there's there's the oxford edition and the uh, cambridge edition and they're not identical hmm. uh, i think it's just off the top of my head i think it's jeremiah 34 16 uh there's a difference between the oxford and the cambridge and one says he which is singular pronoun one says ye which is plural hmm. how would you know which one it is well the King James only doesn't have any way of knowing because the King James is the final authority. Now, the answer is obvious. You go to the Hebrew because yeah. the, the Hebrew uh, will tell you whether it's a plural or a singular. And if I recall correctly off the top of my head, I think it's, uh, I think it's a singular, but it could be the other way out. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, the point is that they have this standard that they can't themselves live up to. They can't actually utilize it in any meaningful fashion. And so, it really depends on what, uh, part of it depends on what they think um, they're, what did they, what arguments have they heard Mm -hmm. that they've internalized that speak the most loudly to them? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, what kind of, well, what kind of stuff uh, did your Facebook friend say to you about the SV? What was was it, was it about manuscripts? Was it about, um, you know, what, what, what was he throwing at you?
1: Well, it kind of, and this kind of leads into what you talked about on that second night, as far as he went more into the, the translations and the reliability, as far as, you know, the, the more the the Bible's translated, and the further you get away, right, it starts to lose a lot, um, some of its, I guess, trust, or, you know, it's changed over time, and I did like that you made the point that, you know, we have more evidence and more documentation now than we did in 1604 when they started translating. So it would, you would think that that would make it more accurate, more likely to be accurate um, than it was. So he was then. actually,
0: so he was actually saying that since it's been 400 years that 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 puts us farther away. It can't be as accurate because I mean that's we're still we're still translating the same text, and in reality, we now have texts that are, are well, uh, hundreds of years earlier than anything that was available to the King James translators themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, if you look at the TR, that's pretty much a, uh, a Greek text that's based upon the about the 12th and 13th century Greek text. And now we have stuff that's 1,100 years closer than that. So, if what you want is to get as close to the original as possible, we're in far better shape now than, than they were back then. But again, they don't think that way. Uh, they're just not aware of what sources we use to do the translations. And again, that epistle to the readers from the King James translators themselves lays a lot of that stuff out. It actually does a good job. Um, and you could just simply say, hey, if we, if we apply what the King James translators said back then to today, they would say go with those translations <laughs> because they would recognize uh the superiority of the manuscripts that we have today and and, and things like that but that's just that's beyond your average king james only as person situation so what i what i'm thankful has happened over time is if you read the king james only controversy the book you see that most of it's just giving that history it is talking about where the where the new testament came from how manuscripts are transmitted over time uh there is a discussion of of formal and dynamic equivalency and issues like that that's that's different than the manuscripts but it all does come into um why there are differences between translations and and issues regarding the king james but there has to be some level of education yeah. um, for the person be, to be able to start seeing the inconsistencies of the King James position. Uh, It's just, it's just necessary. And that was a
1: thought um, that I had as we were listening through again to your talk is, and, you know, I I don't know if you have an answer to this, but in my mind, I was thinking like, as wicked as this world is today, like, why is this a sword that they want to die on? I mean, as far as going to call you Antichrist, and why is that a battle you want to fight when the world is so wicked and you're throwing brothers and sisters under the bus essentially
0: well uh they they don't they don't consider me a brother or sister and they can they have been taught um that yes the world uh is wicked and it's just about to end um and so we don't have to worry about um building for the future or anything like that and so since it's just about to go go down then Those people, the James Whites, the world, the Dan Wallaces, the world, et cetera, et cetera. Those people are actually part of the mechanism to uh, drag us away from our one sure defense, which is the King James version of the Bible. Is
2: that kind of idolatry?
0: It it, it, the cult the cultic version of King James onlyism is very idolatrous. It really does set up a, a an authority outside of god um and okay. it it does it, yeah once you start making a bible a a 17th century anglican translation of the bible the standard of whether someone is a christian uh that, that definitely enters into the field of uh, of idolatry and so um there are a number of these these groups that will actually say that if you were converted let's say whoever uh shared the gospel with you was using an esv um that since that's not the word of god and you are born again by the word of god then you probably are not a christian
2: you may have repented gospel just through somebody paraphrasing it's not like they're reading from a bible when they hear the
0: gospel <laughs> yeah but even even what they're saying needs to be rooted in the the king james version of the bible and uh, the, the bible verses need to be read from the king james version of the bible and uh,
1: that narrow I, road is even more narrow oh <laughs> it's it's
0: uh it's exceptionally narrow yeah it's 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 sad and yeah. And uh, of course, these groups tend to be extremely small and splintered, even from one another. They tend to divide over mm. the smallest thing as well, and, and you can understand why why that would be. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes when you're when you're looking at what's happening and worldwide global totalitarianism descending on us at the speed of sound, you sort of go, "Why are we even talking about these things?" But I've seen so many uh, people. Especially over the past, I don't know, five six years, I started noticing, like at G three and conferences like that, when I when I would meet with people and you get this line and and people come up and sign books and take pictures and do stuff like that, um, the more and more people would be would be saying, you know, you got us out of a an abusive church um, and now we're okay we're in a church where we're really growing and, and we're, we're discovering so much more about the Christian faith and stuff like that. And it's not like it. And many of them would say it, it was, it's you and Jeff Durbin, my fellow pastor at Apologia. And I, I can tell you, Jeff and I have never sat down at any time and said, Hey, let's, let's make this a focus of what we're doing or what we're saying or what we're preaching. Never. Never once crossed our mind. I think just simply what happens is these guys know that stuff's going on. Their leaders aren't giving them any kind of meaningful uh, direction. It's just the same thing over and over again. It's hey man, hey man. You know, it's just mm. it's it, it's just this strange, odd cadence of preaching, but it's on the same subjects over and over again. And they're not engaging the culture, and so they start looking around and they start finding the people that are and we're not dressed in suits and ties and mm. um we look a little bit different and but they start listening and if they're really believers what they hear really resonates with them yeah. and it, it 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 sometimes takes a few years um and it can be a very fearful process because th- i mean they're literally i can't <laughs> i can't tell you how many times i i back in 2000 i I don't don't know why I remember this, but in 2008, I remember doing a series, and this was one of the subjects I talked about, um, at a church in Houston. And I remember uh, the founding pastors there, the elders, uh, told me that their church had grown out of um, their experience at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, where they had to carry my book, The Potter's Freedom, in a brown paper cover so because you weren't allowed to have it on campus and they would literally meet you were contraband (laughs) it was contraband they would literally meet in a dorm room and they would put towels along the bottom of they'd lock the door put towels pull the shades and 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 gather around to listen to the dividing line and stuff like that and it's just it's just that that mindset even more so amongst the IFB, where these people are held in place by fear. Wow. Um, and so you, it, it's great to get to release people from that fear, but what it means, it's, yeah. it's very frequently a very
2: You're not challenging and difficult debate. process on their part. Yeah. Yeah, people are being set free from that. So yeah, that's good. It isn't just a waste to just debate it just for the sake of debating. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, uh, the, the debates obviously are, are, are what catch people's attention, though. Yeah, I mean, um, that's
2: true.
0: there have been a couple uh, guys that have been willing to debate. And the fact of the matter is, it always goes very badly for them, which is why, you know, I've got some guys right now who are former IFB, and they've got a lot of connections, and they're doing everything they can to try to get some of their main leaders to step up. And, and mm. you know, I'm willing to come there. Uh, have with have fifth wheel we'll travel um mm. but they they no mm. because the the guys that have um like uh jack mormon in london uh and i think that was probably why he did it was it was in london and not georgia or west virginia mm. or south carolina or something like that but you know their video cameras it's now it's out there forever it was uh, 10 years ago now And that's one of the only ones I can point to because the other folks just that and the John Ankerberg series, uh, that we did in 1995, uh, when I had hair and round glasses and all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, some people don't even recognize me. They go, the voice sounds familiar. And it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, wow. Um, but, but that's, there's just a couple of those that are, that are out there and, um, they're very strongly discouraged from even viewing stuff like that it's very similar to jehovah's witnesses it's very similar to the control the control type situation with jehovah's witnesses
1: well i did like to i mean you did make the point which i thought was important that you're at least i'm pretty sure i'm and you hear that you did say that you're not opposed to the king james i mean you think it's a fine translation you're just not like she said, kind of idolatrous towards it. It's
0: yeah. I'm opposed to King James onlyism. Right. Uh, a lot of my my memory verses still come out in the King James. Um, I don't believe that the King James the King James translators honestly would be going, guys. Um, that that was. It, it's been 400 years. If you haven't been able to improve anything by then, you guys have got a problem. <laughs> um, and so I am. I would say that we have a much better text today than they had then, and therefore, to not utilize, um, for example, the papyri that have been discovered and, and things like that, um, is 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 to basically say to God, "Thank you very much for all this extra information, but we're good. <laughs> we, <laughs> we got it. We got it four hundred years ago." No, um, so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect. Um, that especially in apologetics and things like that limiting ourselves to the 16th century greek text is uh is an appropriate thing to do um so for example the new king james i think that's an excellent translation of an inferior text the text is inferior because it's 400 years behind the times it's 400 years behind all the discoveries and all the research and everything else we've done um it's great translation but it's translating something that uh I, again like i pointed out that night if you take the same method of hermeneutics and interpretation to interpret the, the king james or the new king james as you do the esv or NESB, they're all they're all going to be preaching and teaching the same faith um but especially when you're doing apologetics and you're having to deal with um the bart Ermans of the world who are uh telling us that our bibles have been radically altered and things like that you can't you can't be doing that from the 16th century. You need Bart Ehrman's in the 21st century. We need to be in the 21st century, uh, responding to him as well. So there's a vast difference between being opposed to King James Onlyism and being opposed to the King James.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but they don't. In uh, if you make the King James Bible alone equals the Word of God alone, then they they can't make that distinction in their thinking. You're you're opposed to the Word of God. You you are opposed to god's word it's been said to me over and over again um despite the fact that i've i've defended scripture against muslims and atheists and everything else in all sorts Mm -hmm. of contexts it doesn't make any sense but they've made that
1: equation their mind and they're they're stuck with Mm -hmm. and you made it clear i mean at least in our teaching i'm sure you've done it in all your teachings and you said i mean the death nail as you called it was what did the what did the apostles write like and whatever gets you closer to that, it's hard to imagine that that would be a conflict <laughs> amongst. Christians. But it is,
0: uh, but it is because even even some of my uh, reformed brethren will uh, will say, well, the only way to really know what the apostles wrote is is through the tradition that God has given to us, and since God used the textus receptus as the foundation for um the great confessions of faith westminster confession of faith the london baptist confession of faith or whatever uh that's what we need to stick with and i've even been told that i'm not i can't be a confessional reformed baptist uh because the london baptist confession uses the king james basically or the texas receptus if you want to go to the the original language text and therefore if since the london baptist confession cites first john five seven and there is absolutely no chance of first John 5:7 is original. Well, that means you're not confessional. That means you're you're not holding to that, that tradition. And of course, my response is: I'm sorry, but none of the framers of the Westminster Confession or the London Baptist Confession had one-fiftieth of the information available to them that we have today. So to try to drag them into this and say they made a decision for that perspective when no one no one knew about text types. No one had any, there was, there were no catalogs of manuscripts. There were no collations of manuscripts. You, you, I mean, even the King James translators did not use Greek manuscripts. They used printed editions of the Greek text. I have, I have my, well, I have my here. Musical uh, interlude. Here is my 1550 Stephanus um this is not a facsimile uh this was published in 1550 it uh, is appraised at $35,000, and this is the book of acts and this was uh the last uh printed greek new testament before robert Stephanus, who did this inserted the verse divisions into the new testament so there are no, there are no there's no john 3 16 here there's a john 3 there's no john 316 because there are no verses yet the next year he put the verses in but this remained extremely popular because of how big it was and how easy to read it is mm. the 1551 edition he did was much smaller and i i can tell you as i i'm about i'm getting close to turning 60 why i would prefer this over the small edition oh yeah <laughs> um uh, much much re- more readable but this this is what the king james translators used they used uh, Erasmus, they had, they used his editions. They used the 1550 Stephanus, they used the 1598 Beza, and um, so they used printed editions. They didn't they didn't go to the manuscripts, and so there was a very small number of manuscripts that were used in the production of these printed editions, uh, less than twenty by the time you get to Beza, and we have five thousand eight hundred and eighteen today um let alone how many more in other languages that we've that we've discovered so um it's just it's a different world and so to try to drag the writers the confessions in and say well they made this decision no they didn't they didn't know these things so they didn't make a decision one way or the other to try to try to get dead people to vote on this debate (laughs) Uh, reminds me of the 2020 election but let's not get into that
1: Absolutely, and that's—I don't know if this is necessarily even unique. Um, I'm sure, and you might know more on this, or maybe I'm completely off base. But um, when Martin Luther he translated um, at least portions, if not the whole Bible, right, into German, and didn't the the German people at the time even push back and get upset that he would even write the Bible in their language? I could be off base, but I thought. They even, well, at least a portion of them got upset that it would not well,
0: the roman the Roman Church obviously uh, uh wanted to maintain control over translations. There had been previous uh, there had been previous German translations, but they were not generally available to the people. And Luther did the New Testament while he was hiding from Charles uh, the V at the Wartburg castle. I uh, visited the room where he worked, in fact, mm-hmm. and um then later, with help from others, because he wasn't as good in Hebrew as he was in uh, in uh, Greek. Uh, later, the entire Bible was uh, was was translated. And the main thing with with Luther was he wanted every plowboy uh, to have a copy of the Scriptures. And so the Lutherans started what a monster. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, what a monster! Uh, the the they, they started Sunday schools and and publication societies. And the Lutherans have always been really good at that at, at getting the word out there and so uh that was considered scandalous to rome mm-hmm. um and certainly in the preceding centuries uh you had the lollards and in in, uh, in england the followers of john wycliffe who memorized his translation um even though it, it was burnt by the church um they memorized it and um uh would get together and they would actually take this beautiful thing they would take the name They would each memorize a different book of the Bible. And then they would take the name of that, the book that they memorized and their worship services would be various people standing up and reciting from what they had memorized. And that's how they had scripture because they couldn't have it in written form. Um, They had it uh, in in a memorized form that way in English. That was, that was what was so special to them was it was, it was in English that it was being, uh, they were hearing it instead of in the Latin
1: yeah well i know um just kind of just talking about as far as you know studying scripture and stuff one of the things that you had talked about in your new testament re- uh, reliability i guess it wasn't necessarily on the rely or re- uh, reliability but you made a statement in there about um that we're not talking about this stuff in sunday schools you know because we're too busy entertaining these kids with pizza parties and know we have four children and we've complained for years about how bad sunday school and it seems like you know you just get whatever 23 year old that just left bible college and plays Fortnite, and (laughs) it's all like fun plays what (laughs) 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 all right yeah just find a 13 year old and they'll show you okay all right but uh yeah and it's like youth ministry has kind of just become a hangout Mm -hmm. and then most youth ministers are using it only as a platform Mm. to a a bigger office. And Mm -hmm. I don't know when this started or how to correct it, but I know as parents, it drives us crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We don't, uh, I, I can tell you that, um, in, in at Apologia and at the church where I was beforehand for 29 and a half years, uh, there was no quote unquote youth ministry. There were, um, there were great godly men that were involved as Sunday school teachers and things like that. But uh, we have, everybody's in the worship service at, mm-hmm. at Apologia. There's, there's not even a nursery uh, where the babies are in there. Um, some people complain and I, and I, I'll, I'll admit the first two Sundays, uh, that I was at Apologia, given that you could hear other people's stomachs rumbling, uh, <laughs> at the church I was at before it was so quiet. Uh, that's how you knew the sermon was going to be wrapping up fairly soon. Um, <laughs> but, um. Uh being at apology the first two weeks was a little tough, but honestly, I don't even hear it anymore. Um, you don't, you don't, you're not distracted by it, nothing. But if you listen to, you know, I'm preaching Sunday. I'll be preaching Psalm 12 uh at Apology on Sunday. And and if you listen and turn up loud enough, you'll hear kids because they're all there. And uh so uh they all know who the elders are. I can't tell you how many um, pictures I have been given by our kids growing up at Apologia—not my kids, but just all the kids—of me. How many different artistic renderings of the strange-looking Scottish man uh, preaching mm-hmm. from the pulpit uh, that I've gotten from our kids, and I think that's awesome. That's great. But to the point that you are making, um, we don't—you know—we well. At, okay, at. Church has that before, and an apology, we do do this. We do uh, prepare the young people before they go out into universities. Um, we, we train them about the history of the Bible and where it actually came from. My, my daughter, uh, when she went to uh, Glendale Community College, her first semester, she had a rabidly nasty anti-Christian professor, just vilely so. <laughs> And she's coming home and telling me about this guy. And finally, one day he got onto the gospels and she knew that what he was saying was bunk. Um, and she had tried to just patiently bear with it. But finally she's, she puts her <laughs> hand up and she challenges the guy and he just loses it. And the final thing he says to her is, uh, it was about the authorship of the gospels. Well, Google it. Google it.. because oh, no. she had pointed out he was wrong about the language in which the New Testament was written. And, you know, I have video of her sitting in the front row at nine years of age while I'm debating Muslims in New York, you know I mean, she's she's gone to this stuff her entire life. Uh, so she's me in a female body. It's sort of <laughs> scary. Um, so uh, she has her own webcast. it's really popular. You've probably oh, heard oh. of sheologians and stuff. and and um, uh, she and her friend uh, uh, Joy, I've been doing a podcast called Sheologians for like over five <laughs> years now.
1: And <laughs> uh,
0: uh, yeah, oh yeah, it's, it's got a big following and if you haven't heard it before, check it out. Yeah. Um, but um, in fact, they've had me on a few times and uh, especially check out, if you want to hear, if you want to entertain your kids with something other than worldly entertainment, uh, in, in February of 2019, if you go to sheologians.com, I was on for two episodes in a row, and I told the story of the Munster Rebellion, the rebellion of the city of Munster in the mid-1530s. And I've taught church history since the 1990s, and I can guarantee you, it is the weirdest, wildest church history story Ever.
2: I'm looking forward to that I wouldn't
0: listen. and the kids i think even the kids would be sitting there going really <laughs> what they did no come on. <laughs> because because summer summer even hadn't heard it and so she's she's like no way i'm like no oh, yes way so yeah do that uh check 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 that out and then you'll you'll probably be hooked to sheologians after that but anyways um, our kids are prepared, but we send our kids off and they run into people like this Dr. Carter that she had and they don't have any idea what to say in response. Mm-hmm. They, they've never even heard of this kind of stuff before. And we wonder why they lose their faith. Uh, this has to be stuff that we are talking about in the mm-hmm. church. It has to be stuff that, that our, our parents understand, our grandparents understand to be able to pass this on uh, to, to young people. It's, it's vitally important. Did
2: you say it was but 80%? A lot- lose their faith when they go to college i've heard
0: that i've heard that number um i'm not sure how you're determining who had faith and who didn't before they because we all know
2: christians who've gone to college and completely lost their faith in it we all know painful or more right
0: and that there's a lot of nominalism and that's when nominalism Mm -hmm. will will show itself Mm -hmm. there's no question about it but still we don't uh prepare our people
2: right
0: and part of it is because the idea is you don't talk about complicated subjects mm-hmm. in the pulpit. Um, well, uh, you, you need to. Uh, you need to. There's, there's just, there's, there's no two ways about it. And um, uh, hopefully, if anything has coming a- has been coming out of the past couple of years that we've been facing in the church, it's like, yeah, there needs to be a time when you deal with tough subjects because we're facing really tough subjects mm-hmm. as to the relationship of church and state and everything else that goes along with that and if we're not talking about it in the service then what are we talking about
2: right
1: yeah i mean we absolutely agree that you know it took us decades and generations to get in the mess that we're in today and we're not gonna fix it by reelecting uh donald trump or whatever in 2024 you know we're decades and generations from probably getting the, the country back on track without a move of god so Um, Well, I I don't don't
0: don't, don't even get me started on that. Uh, I'm not even sure there's a country to get back on track, but I can I can guarantee you one thing the the enemy that we face today is secularism secularism is the negation of everything that Jesus taught and died for. It is the greatest enemy that I feel uh, has ever arisen against the church, even Rome, at least acknowledged the existence of deities.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: yeah. and so secularism uh teaches you you can't tell the difference between a boy and a girl. Right. You can't understand there's the beauty of motherhood or fatherhood. Right. It is the most anti-human destructive mm-hmm. thing that has ever arisen in the history of the tr- of in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. And there may be a very, very dark time coming, right but there's one thing I'm absolutely certain of. Um, secularism cannot sustain itself over time um when you when you when you tell people you can't you can't know a male or a female that insanity cannot sustain itself
2: how do you get uh, rid of it, it to the next generation if they're teaching it to their kids it's like and they
0: are and, that's, and that and they are it's that's just it that's, that's, yeah
2: it's, it's just it's, gotten it's, worse
0: yeah so um that's a whole other issue but yeah. we need to know we need to know that the the scriptures that we have have been transmitted to us accurately to be able to respond to those, uh, those yep. things as well. So that's why this is important.
1: Absolutely. And, um, we did just want to touch on a couple of topics that we thought you just sort of fit the mold very well. Um, you may not even know, but we've been kind of reviewing this podcast called the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And, um, mm. they just brought up some points that I thought you would maybe be able to speak on as far as being a church leader and, um, you know, being in ministry forever. And one of the questions that, you know, we kind of came back to, um, not forever, obviously, but, uh, you know, excuse me, uh, distinguished gentlemen. Um, but, you know, one of the things that Mark Driscoll, um, that we kind of saw was that his, as his fame rose, you know, he, you know, stopped being the guy that he was to start. So our question for you was kind of, you know, not that you're, I don't know if you consider yourself famous, but we would consider you at least moderately for us, you know, so as your, your name and your notoriety, I guess, has gotten out there and more people are seeking your, you know, attention and your time, I guess, what have you done in your life to kind of make sure you at least, you know, you stay humble and then stay in the scriptures um, mm-hmm. so that you don't fall away. Like all these other pastors.
0: Um, You know, I, I saw some of the Driscoll stuff from a distance and he's actually here in Phoenix. Now, uh, of course, Phoenix, is, most people don't know this, Phoenix is Phoenix, the fifth largest city in the United States. So saying you're in Phoenix doesn't really mean a whole okay. lot. Um, it's, uh, it's pretty massive, but uh, you can start, you can start driving on a freeway in Northwest Phoenix at 65 miles per hour. And, uh, an hour and a half later, you'll still be in the Valley of the sun, <laughs> really? uh, in the, uh, in the Southeast Valley. Um, it's that big, but anyway, um, I didn't, I sort of followed some of it from afar and I was just sort of like, um, okay, I I don't really don't know much about this. I was hearing about it from other people. Um, I know one thing when I was traveling, like in 2019, I flew 165,000 miles. Um, when I was traveling, that's when I discovered how well known I'd become because you're walking through airports anywhere in the world and all of a sudden someone's pointing at you and coming up to you and wanting you to sign their book or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that certainly, t- that certainly is a reminder that even if you're having a really bad day, um, never get impatient with the lady at the check-in counter. You don't know who's watching, <laughs> you know? or or who's doing this number from, you
2: know. Yeah. You
0: know, oh, you'll be <laughs> on
1: YouTube as uh,
0: uh Yeah, going YouTube that one. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. Um, so the, you know, when that started happening, you're you start start going oh um, okay, but it was never something that I a ever got used to, uh, or b ever expected, and hence c ever desired. So, um, you know when I we were just a G three, and I'd literally have to have an escort to get anywhere because everyone would stop me, and mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to get to where I was supposed to speak or you know record mm-hmm. video or whatever because everybody wants to tell me their life story and I think it's wonderful that's great at the proper time but that kind of thing I don't thrive on that it's 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 exciting for a while in the sense that you get to hear uh you know uh, this one is in two nights in a row as I was coming back in fact right after um when I was with you guys um I had guys telling me that it was my debates on roman catholicism that i did back in the 1990s hmm. that led them out of roman catholicism and and it's just like that's really encouraging and that's exciting mm-hmm. uh, because you know no one had any idea who i was or what we were doing in the 1990s mm-hmm. so to see that something could you know have that kind of benefit that far down the road i think that's exciting um but look i'm a churchman. Um, I I don't consider myself, you know, you all mentioned, you know, that I, I preached that morning, by the way, that's the way I like to preach. Um, that's, that's most comfortable for me, especially when I'm traveling is just simply to open up a text in the original language and let the language uh, be the, be the, the commentary. Uh, uh, sorry that I'm looking distracted here, but, um, I have a truck out in a parking lot and, uh, we are in Phoenix and I don't know (laughs) if it's happening where you are. Yes. Uh, oh they're God. stealing, they're stealing catalytic converters Ooh. off of vehicles and they can do it in less than a minute. And most of the time it'll cost you a thousand bucks to, to replace it. I mean, literally they just dive on your vehicle with a saw and chop the thing off and take off. It's just, it's just unbelievable. You know, it's amazing. If
1: they would just put that ingenuity towards That's... respectable means, they'd be very successful.
0: People. I know, but there's precious metals in catalytic converters, <laughs> And so um is
2: so out there?
0: no we have we have we have external cameras and my my truck is alone out there and a van pulled up next to it just now and i'm just watching the guy wandering around out there so um if all of a other. sudden i go back later uh then you'll know that uh he started
1: messing around with my
0: truck so you got uh, that
1: sword behind you so you'll be all right
0: that's not what i'd be taking out there <laughs> i got something out of the out of camera shot that'd be more effective um but uh anyways um what were we talking about uh we, we were talking about i'm a churchman and so when i preach um i'm not trying to i, I don't consider myself a great preacher or anything like that at all a much better teacher than i am a preacher but i have to be in the word regularly in, in when teaching and preaching in the church Um, and I, I really think that's, uh, if you're actually doing it right, and you're not just the guy who shows up on sun, on sun, on Sundays, but then on the rest of the week, you're golfing with big wigs and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. If you're actually involved in ministry in the church, um, I think that's one of the most grounding things you could, you could ever, you could ever have. Um, so that's one of the, one of the, one of the things you know, I've got people around me. Um, you know, rich, and then my fellow elders and and things like that. That if I started getting wild and wacky like he did, they're not going to sit around and say, "Oh yeah, sure, you you go ahead and do that." They're going to slap me upside the head. So uh, you need to right. you need to have that as that as well.
2: Set up the accountability around yourself and yeah yeah. Tell people and, you know, when I get out of line, you need to put me back in check.
0: <laughs> and you know, I um, this is actually related. I when when we found out that we were expecting our first child back in 1986, six yeah, 1986. Um, I asked my dad. Um, uh, I remember asking him. I said, "Dad, what did you? How did you instill in me um, such a a fear of dishonoring you and mom?" Because when I was a teenager, you know, there's time comes when you're a teenager, you got a car, you got a vehicle, you're, you're a raging pile of hormones, and there's lots of ways you can get in trouble at, at that, at that point in time and lots of opportunities to do it. Um, but I never did. And one of the main reasons I never did was because I didn't want to see the look on your face and Lord use that. Um, how did you do that? And uh, if you're sitting there and have pen and paper ready, um, my dad's response was, "Son, I have no idea." <laughs> so, <laughs> so obviously, though, it was just simply we were in church, we were taught the word of God. There was um, there was a uh, teaching of re- respect and, and and accountability to your parents, mm-hmm. and that you reflected upon them. Like I, I was raised to believe once you turn 18. You need to be accountable for you. And so I got married at 19. I got engaged at 18.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And people look at that today like,
2: I know. <laughs>
0: How? It's like, um I I'm I've already got four grandkids and I can run and play with them yeah. and do all sorts. And and I, if the Lord wills i might be able to do that with my great-grandchildren yeah. that's sort of how people used to do stuff actually yeah. um
2: joy that'll be yeah
0: oh yeah it's it, it's it's awesome but um there is an accountability there's and i think that has obviously come through to the rest of my ministry as well mm-hmm. is that it's not just my dad being disappointed but that that's just reflective of i want to honor god
1: mm-hmm. and
0: I, I think that's in that's pretty important as as well.
1: Well, that was one of the other things that we sort of saw um, just as we're watching this or listening to this podcast where, you know, a lead pastor and elders that weren't really holding each other accountable. Um, so you obviously as a, a church leader and having elders around you, I was curious how you either handle or how you would handle a situation with You know, maybe uh, elders and pastors that aren't seeing eye to eye, or maybe even worse, where it's a toxic situation where it seemed to be at that church, you know, toxic situation between a a pastor and elders and different pastors in the same church.
0: Yeah. uh, Division is really, really, really hard to deal with. There's no two ways about it. Um, But uh, especially where I am right now, where we have four men, um, you know, there's a real, the, there's a real willingness on everyone's part to be able to speak up and to say, I, you know, I'm not sure that's the way we need to do, do things. And I'm concerned about this. And, and we've had to face disciplinary issues and things like that. And there's, we've had to talk through it because like, no, I'm, I don't think that's the way we should go. I think we should do this. And it's like, well, I'm not sure about that. And we're we're discussing one subject right now that we need to, we need to work through uh, as a group, but there isn't, um, I don't know again, I've I've not listened. I don't know all the disco yeah. stuff, but but you start getting money issues and power issues and books and fame and stuff like that. And that's where the toxicity started mm-hmm. coming in. And and if you fill if you've surrounded yourself with just yes men,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um then that's that's where the that's where the, the problem comes. Um and if you're the one one big, big big guy and nobody has any idea who the other people are, they're gonna be hesitant to really um take a stand and uh and if you can then get rid of them when they when they do uh that's a non-functional situation no no two ways about it but um you know this is the largest church that i've been associated with in a leadership position i mean i was a member of a church that had twenty thousand members um but that was the southern baptist church and you can only find seven to eight thousand people at any given time um so uh and I saw some of the inward workings there, and I don't want to I don't want to be a part of anything that big, not, not interested in it. Um, mm. uh, there are lots of temptations, and yeah, it's not a, not a positive thing.
1: Yeah, just that seems like a very uh, I don't know if that's something that's laid out as you're bringing elders on, you know that hey, it kind of hears the expectations, you know, mm-hmm. to yeah, not that let it get is too far to the left or the right or um
0: no I, th- I think it's pretty clearly laid out yeah there is a, there's actually a a whole list of things you go through uh at our church anyways that were pretty specific and um, okay. um so yeah it would be it would be expected no toys about it
1: that's good to hear uh because it sounds like a dicey situation and i'm sure that that's not the only church that that's happening at, especially totally. when you're that big and i mean we mega churches are are a thing in this country now and celebrity pastors and they won't be for long
2: <laughs> yeah, we've been to all kinds of churches i mean you know he's in the air force and we've moved how many times how many different states and so we haven't been to like just specific denominations always christian you know we've been to charismatic you know pentecostal type baptist then Reformed baptist you know and now we're the sovereign grace which with this where we want to stick we're not just being so casual about where we go to church now but our main concern now is the leadership and you know it, we don't want to go somewhere where they push that that wild kids ministry and I don't know why they call it ministry because it really is just a big you know bounty houses and stuff and craziness where we were before that was it was pretty crazy and the kids confess now, like that wasn't a godly place. They were, they let any kid come along and and they're yeah. not Christian at all. She's, they'd say it's worse than going to school. And yeah, I just, yeah.
0: <laughs> I remember, uh, uh, one day, uh, we were coming home from church and, and, uh, my daughter was in ninth grade in a Christian school. And she says from the back back seat. She says, um, "I want to go to Cortez, which is our local public high school." And you know, we're paying we're we're paying more than our uh, mortgage to have the kids in Christian oh. school. Yeah. And she says, uh, "I want to go to Cortez," and we said, "Well, why?" And her answer was, "I prefer my pagans straight up." <laughs> wise young lady and, and and basically what she what she said was she said i i she's at a christian school and she said i only know of one other christian girl at my school wow and i'm like oh wow okay now she's homeschooling her kids
2: <laughs> uh,
0: that was that was years ago she's home homeschooling her kids but uh, yeah, that was that was her her thought about that situation. So. yeah we
1: have been trying to sound that clarion call to everybody. We can like get your kids out of school, don't think, because they're in a Christian school that that's in any way Christian. Uh,
0: it depends on the Christian school, obviously. Um this one uh, so many of them are so financially strapped mm-hmm. that they can't have standards,
2: oh, okay,
0: and that's that's Definitely where the problem is.
2: That's oh, where the that. problem
0: comes in. So they they've got to have people in those seats, and therefore,
2: yeah. You know, so
1: anyway, no. didn't want to get into
0: that.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I just had one last question. that's kind of off topic, but she had mentioned that we were Air Force, and you know, something that's been weighing pretty heavily on my heart in the last, you know, just hit 16 years in. But as we mentioned earlier, it's wicked and anti Christ as this nation, especially at the national leadership level, is. You know, how would you instruct somebody who's maybe even looking to potentially join? I, I know how I feel like I would instruct them uh, to avoid, but you know, going to work for this government—like—is it better to be, you know, be in the fight, so or just remove yourself from it because it's it's not getting better right away? I mean, no, it's it's, getting worse. it's not getting better.
0: I, I don't I don't know how to answer that. I we. Um, Apologia became involved in trying to help the SEALs that were basically deactivated uh, over the vaccine stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I just uh, uh, saw a, a graph and the underlying data from the government of the United Kingdom that produced the graph um, for over six months now. The total mortality um in the united kingdom not only is up above where it's been but since they track vaccinated and unvaccinated vaccinated have twice the mortality rate as the unvaccinated for the past six months in England twice and you're just like no one will talk about it right um they they can't won't look into it but we are facing an, an amazing utterly unique situation Mm -hmm. and hence any answer i would have given in 2019 about uh military service um now looking at what's the fact that the united states military is being used as a pawn Mm -hmm. um it seems to me they want people out who would Mm -hmm. dare to go there's this thing called the constitution and so i'm not sure that what we're doing here is a really, um, so I, I don't know how faithful people are going to be able to navigate um, what's coming. And um, that's one of the big, one of the big issues is uh, we're seeing, we've already had so many people in our own uh, church uh, that have lost uh, jobs and lost income. Um, because they would not do what was demanded of them, which mm-hmm. was against their their convictions, mm-hmm. and so uh, you, we look at Austria. Austria just announced that in January, if you're going to live in Austria, you will submit.
1: And um, yeah, we're a more sane country. We might be going to liberate those people, right. <laughs> you would think.
0: Um, but that's we're we're going down the same road. And um, so I don't I don't know. Um, I wish I had answers. Um, as things arise, we try to apply godly principles, but we are we are we're looking at unique situations that, that are global. And I have good friends in in Frankfurt, Germany, and they pastors, and they're really struggling. Oh. They're they're really struggling because the pressure coming upon them um to to submit and they know once they submit to this that's not the, that's not the last thing right no. the next thing and the next right. thing and the next thing it gets more onerous onerous mm-hmm. each time you, you you go on they know that yeah but it's splitting churches it's mm-hmm. it's a very very challenging time period no, no choice about it so.
2: yeah
0: doesn't oh. like stop nothing like nothing like ending on a high note
2: no,
1: no, but I mean, yeah. you know, we talk about that quite regularly on uh, this podcast. I mean, uh, this podcast was kind of birthed out of me really for the first time reading and learning about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I thought, man, we could use a Bonhoeffer today. Um, but you know, having men like you, um, and for anybody that doesn't follow Dr. White on Twitter, uh, I highly encourage it. Um, well, I won't it, be there for long. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, for while you're there, uh, definitely, definitely enjoy following because we don't get enough. I don't feel like, uh, pastors or really church leaders speaking about, they seem to be shy or shy away from speaking about current issues, issues. um, (laughs) which I feel like all of the scriptures that we read are, you know, the apostles and stuff taking on the issues of the day and reminding people how to live in those situations. And Mm -hmm. I don't feel like there's enough men like you that are willing to kind of you know, jump into the fire and take the arrows. And it's a real shame.
0: I posted a a thread on Twitter today on the subject of Molinism, fairly complicated one on theology. And there was this one guy that uh, commented, "Uh, I really miss the old James White, but once in a while, a glimmer still comes through like this thread. (laughs) So in other words, uh, he's saying the exact opposite of what you just said. And that is (laughs) this is all you should be doing. You should just be doing the in-depth theology stuff and all this stuff about what's going on in the world. Just, just leave it alone. I think it's
1: comforting to think that that's all that needs to be talked about (laughs) is, Hey, let's, let's debate, you know, theology issues when really, I mean, like you mentioned, we're staring wickedness in the eyes and and
2: churches are dividing. We need to talk about the issues that are dividing,
1: but we have a million questions to ask you. And I, you know, we could do this forever, (laughs) but, uh, we want to let you go so we don't got you here all night. We certainly appreciate having you. This was a blessing for us. Having you down here preaching and teaching us was a blessing. And if you ever pass through uh, this panhandle area again, we would love to have you. Hopefully
2: better weather. (laughs)
1: The driving won't be better, I promise.
0: (laughs) Well, I appreciate it. Hope it was useful. And uh, yeah, we'll be be coming by that direction again.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks. God bless. All right, so as we get ready to wrap this episode up, is there any last things you'd like to say?
2: Oh, it was just really nice getting to, to talk with James White, and I really enjoyed hearing his stories, and it was really encouraging um, just hearing how he was raised and how he raised uh, his kids, and looking forward to listening to his daughter's <laughs> podcast, that's for sure. We'll have that linked here as well, hopefully.
1: <laughs> yeah, go go give her a listen, Sheologians. Um, and go give him a follow. You know, I, I know people's opinions can be mixed on uh, any church leader, you know, big name, you know, church pastor and stuff. People can be mixed on, but we need to support the men of action, the people that are Mm -hmm. actually going out and taking the fight to the culture and Dr. White, whatever your, you know, views on him are, he's doing that. He's doing it every day, Mm -hmm. constantly. And we need to support men like him. So, His Twitter handle will be down in the show notes. Um, We'll have links to the sermons and the teachings that he did when he came to visit us in Florida. Uh, So please go support him. You don't got to believe with or agree with him 100%. You know, that's where freedom comes in. But we need to support these men to encourage them to continue doing this, the work that most of us are unwilling to do. So uh, that's all we got for you guys today. Love you. God bless.